All right, here we go again. Another Sunday morning at the Digital Cathedral. I want to welcome all of you from around the country and around the world uh, that are with us this morning. If you've been following along, you know that today we're into part four of a series that we're calling Unhooked Book. And what we're basically doing in this series is uh, learning how to study our Bibles, some, some pointers, some keys to understanding how we can get the most that we possibly can get as we study God's Word. Um, you know, that, that there again, I just slipped on it, God's Word. The Bible never cl claims that, but, you know, we've come, come, come to call it that. And the reason we're um, doing this little series on Unhook the Book is because in two weeks, uh, first Sunday of the new year, we're going to begin a study that's going to take us all year long, 2020, and we're going to run through the books of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, and we're going to go through it verse by verse, or at least little sections by little sections as we can hit the different topics and subjects. And what I want to do in 2020 is to uncover some of the things that maybe Paul said that are below the surface that we haven't uncovered in days gone by, or maybe a new revelation that will spring up to us as we look at some of the depth and plummet down some into the uh, teaching of Paul. I was thinking this week I was working on something that um, kind of led me off in a direction where I want to go today. I was thinking this week how uh, for most of us, you know, most of our Christian lives, we've been encouraged to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus. That, that was kind of always the, the prototype example that we always taught around or tried to, um, to move our life toward was to be more like Jesus, to make him an example uh, to copy him, uh, to do as much as we could to be like Jesus. And I don't know how it went with you, but like Dr. Phil said, how's that working for you? I don't know how it worked for you, but I can tell you that after a lot of trial, a lot of effort, uh, uh, trying to come up with some steps and formulas that would enable me to be like Jesus, to use him as a pattern then to uh, try to fit my life to match, I found that uh, it was impossible in myself to be like Jesus. Remember back in the 90s, some of you can remember, everybody had the WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? And the idea behind the bracelet was that before you would make a decision, you would stop and ask yourself, what would Jesus do in this situation? It sounds good, and uh, I think that whoever originated that sold a lot of bracelets, a lot of necklaces, and a lot of, um, a lot of things that had WWJD on it. But the problem was, for me at least, I would generally find myself into a situation before I would stop and ask myself, what would Jesus do? And sometimes by that point, it was too late to say, well, this is what Jesus would have done. Uh, and it, did, it, wasn't very, it wasn't very successful for me. Uh, I, never, I never attained the level of perfection that I thought I should by trying to be like Jesus. Then along in the, in the middle 90s, I discovered that verse from 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. That's kind of my life's verse that turned my whole world upside down. 1 John 4, 17 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. And here's the part that turned my world upside down. Because as he is, so are we in this present world. And that led me to the whole revelation that I wasn't to be like Jesus, but in fact I was to discover how Jesus is uh, 
knowing that as I discover how he is, that I'm also discovering who I have always been. Because as he is, so are we. So it wasn't, my life became not so much trying to be like Jesus, but it became more of a, of a, of a journey of discovering who he is to know who I is and who I've always, always been. And I, I look at many Christians today, especially evangelicals that are, are still trying to be like Jesus. And those poor people that are still trying, I know that they're, they're, they're frustrated at their inability uh, to keep the words of Jesus. You know, we would take all the words of Jesus and try to, try to live those words. And it's very frustrating. It's very tiring. And we would, you know, make a lot of spellbinding teachings to try to make us feel like we had gotten rid of our sin, that we could be like Jesus, sin-free, uh, uh, let alone, you know, we never could, could, could quite get to that place where we felt by things of Jesus that we were pleasing him and that we were free from sin ourselves, let alone trying to think that Jesus was the Lamb of God that took away the sin of the whole world, which he certainly did all by himself without our permission, without our effort. For the most part, you know, looking back at that, I would call that a religion because it was so difficult. And for the most part, it was so unbending, so rigid. It was so black and white and left us absolutely no place where we could grow. So if, if we can't live like Jesus, and I'm, I'm going to get into what we want to get into today because we're, we're going to unhook the book a little bit, and this is laying a little bit of foundation of what I want to unhook for you today. So if it didn't, didn't work very good for us to try to be like Jesus, then who in the world are we supposed to try to be like? Now this, this may shock you, this may surprise you, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 15, let me read this for you. Paul said, for though you uh, have thousands of instructors in Christ, yet you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he said, therefore I urge you, imitate me. Now, how do you think it would go over today if you went to church and the pastor stood up and said, look, I, you don't have to try to be uh, like Jesus. I have begotten you in the gospel. And I want you to imitate me. We would say, what's, what's wrong with that egotistical guy? What's, who does he think he is? That he would be so braggadocious as to say that we are to imitate him. But when you read, read through the writings of Paul, which is a new covenant, right? New covenant. You never find Paul saying, imitate Jesus. You never say Paul, you never hear Paul say, try to be like Jesus. What you find that Paul doing continually is back at the concept of 1 John 4, 17, is to discover how Jesus is so that you will know how you is also. Or who you are. So Paul spends a lot of time unpacking our authentic identity. He unpacks a lot of who we already are in Christ. And the finished work of the cross, of course, is a major revelation of Paul that he taught extensively on that tells us everything we possess, not trying to be like, but what we possess because of all that Jesus has done as us, not just for us. 
So as we, as we get into this this morning, I just want you to remember last week we ended with the new covenant, when, it, when the new covenant was actually established, and maybe this is one reason why it's been so difficult for us to try to be like Jesus, is because trying to be like Jesus actually takes us back into the old covenant. Remember last week we established the fact that the new covenant does not begin with Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1. I know that's the fly leaf of your Bible. It says New Testament. And then when you turn the page over, it has Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. But we found that the new covenant really was not established until the death of Jesus. So if that's the truth, if the new covenant was established at the death of Jesus, then get firmly fixed in your mind uh, uh, which covenant Jesus lived in. And for the most part, what Je the covenant that Jesus taught in and the covenant that Jesus ministered in. It was not the new covenant. Jesus lived and for the most part ministered in the old covenant. Jesus spoke and ministered under the Old Testament. In uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 8, Paul, Paul establishes this for us. In Romans chapter 15 and verse 8, Paul says this. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises that God made to the fathers to the circumcision. Now, Jesus lived grace. No question about it. Jesus oozed grace. That's just who he was. John said that Jesus came full of grace and he came full of truth. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus ministered to people that were uh, deep in sin. He ministered grace to them. And, and the greater the sin that Jesus encountered, the more he ministered grace <clears throat> to them, the more the grace just poured out of the life of Jesus. In fact, you don't find one, what the church would call today, what the evangelical church would call today, you don't find Jesus ever encountering, encountering one uh, dirty, no good, low down sinner that Jesus ever condemned to hell, that Jesus ever ridiculed, uh, that Jesus ever told them they were, they were coming up short. Jesus undeniably lived grace. But what Jesus taught to the Jews he absolutely taught law. There isn't any question about it. Jesus taught, taught law. When, when he lived out, when he demonstrated, wherever sin abounded, Jesus certainly um, made the scripture that Paul later wrote true, that where sin abounded, the grace of God superabounded or abounded beyond that. But when he taught the Sermon on the Mount, when he taught the disciples' prayer, when he taught t parables, it was in the context of the Old Covenant to the Jews. I, I find that many people don't understand who it is actually that Jesus came to show the need of a Savior to. And it was not the Gentiles. Jesus came expressly to minister what he had to say and to teach to the Jews. Why did Jesus come for them? Because they were so entrenched in law that Jesus wanted to come and raise the law to a level that hopefully they would see we can't keep this because 
They were very self-righteous. They felt that all of the laws they were keeping, they were doing their best, they were striving. I mean, if they were really to be honest with themselves, I'm sure that they would, would know that out of the 613 laws of Moses, that they were not doing a good job of keeping them any more than you and I did a good job at keeping the laws of our particular denomination or church or all the things that we tried to live up to, our, live up to expecting of ourselves as we tried to be like Jesus. But Jesus is very specific. And I find there's a lot of people that really don't understand this. And it, it, it totally affects the way that you read the Bible. Look what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter 15 and verse 24. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 24. <clears throat> Jesus answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's, that's who Jesus came to minister to, to elevate the law. When Jesus said, <clears throat> said things like this on, on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you know, if a Roman soldier abuses you and makes you carry his load one mile, now watch how Jesus really says grace here. He said, don't go just one mile, go two now, what, what was Jesus doing to the Jews that were listening? Which, that's who he taught the Sermon on the Mount to. He was taking the law that they had, which was to go a mile. And brother, when they hit 5,280 feet, they dropped the load because they fulfilled the law. Jesus said, no, what I want you to do is to go another mile. Jesus was taking the law that they thought they had kept, and he was now making it into Mission Impossible to the Jews, and the whole motive behind that was to show them, look, you can't keep the law that I expect you to be able to keep. So you, you need someone that can keep the law for you. You need somebody that can fulfill the law for you. Now, Jesus, that's the group that Jesus came, came for. He came to show them the need of a Savior. Now, do we... All need Jesus? Absolutely, we all need Jesus. But Paul was the man that Jesus handpicked and commissioned to carry the gospel, the finished work of the cross, to the, to the nations, to the, to the Gentiles. Jesus, in fact, skirted around Gentiles. There are very few Gentiles that Jesus ever, ever, ever spoke to, ministered to, performed a miracle for. And he would even instruct his disciples. While you're in Matthew, come back to Matthew chapter 10. Look at the instructions of Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5 says, when he sent the 12 out, he said, Do not go into the way of the Gentiles, and do not enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What's, what's Jesus instructing them to do? Bypass the Gentiles. We're not here for them. The message is not for them. I want you to go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus came. Now you have to understand this because it, when you unhook the book, I've been driving home hard for a couple of weeks, that you have to know what covenant you're reading in. The old covenant was not given to you. The old covenant was given to the Jews. The Jews made covenant of law. 
The new covenant was never meant for any nation outside of, of the nation of Israel. What Jesus came to do is to bring in the new covenant and to abolish the old covenant. When Jesus hung on the cross and he said, it is finished, there's so many different dimensions of it is finished, what it encompasses. It encompasses, well, just let me give you real two since we're, we're talking about covenants here. When Jesus said it is finished, on one level, he was saying the old covenant is now completed. It's done away. There is no more old covenant. Uh, it is finished. On the other hand, he is saying everything that needs to be done to bring the new covenant into reality for all of humanity, it also is now finished. I have completed everything that needs to be done. So he is, he is eliminating one by it is finished, and he's birthing another with every, it's completed, it's finished, everything is done. I've put the last... I put the last stroke on the painting with the brush. It is fully completed. That's what Jesus was getting after. And this, this changes everything. When you, when you unhook the book and you start to look at the two covenants in that light, it changes everything, especially the way that you, you, know, you read your Bible and the way you interpret it. Now, I know that hits a religious nerve big time if we're not taught to do all of the sayings of Jesus. And my, my life and your life are examples that in our own strength, we cannot keep the sayings of Jesus. But until you put the life and the earthly ministry of Jesus into the right covenant and make the cross the dividing line of the two covenants, you're going to create confusion for yourself and for other people. Much of the church today walks in confusion because we're pulling things out of the old covenant that were never meant for us, pulling them into the, to the new covenant, trying to make them a standard by which we live by. We're not, we're not following what Hebrews chapter, uh, I think it's chapter 10, verse 9. Let me, let me read this for you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. Writer Hebrews says, Now he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. What was the will of, of the Father? This is, this is uh, uh, the writer of Hebrews quoting Jesus. Jesus said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. So the writer of Hebrews says, This is the will of God. This is why Jesus came. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 9. He takes away the first. He takes away the first. He takes away the first. Now watch. That he may establish the second. Now you cannot be established in the second if you're holding on to the first. So now let me come back. What, under what covenant did Jesus basically teach under? The old covenant. The examples that Jesus draws of how to live. Old covenant. Now remember I told you all of the Bible is for us, but it's not all to us. The Old Covenant was to the Jews. The sayings of Jesus was directed toward the Jews. Now, does that mean we can't pull wisdom out of there? Does that mean that, uh, uh, that we can't look at it and say, this, this, is, um, this, is, this is a good way to live. This, this is how we should, this is what we should do. No, of course, of course it doesn't. But it's not strapped on us as a law that when we can't go the second mile, 
or we, or we don't love God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, and our neighbor as ourselves. when all of a sudden you go, you know what? I thought I loved God with all of my heart, but when you, when you take a scripture like that and you say, you know, I, I, I love God with all my heart, but then you think about it, you think, well, maybe there's just a little bit more that I could love him with. And what happens with the law is you're never able in yourself to fulfill it. There's always a little bit more. Do you really love your neighbor as yourself? Well, I, I cut his grass. I, I'm kind to him. I help him out. Well, but could you have done more? If it was you, could you have done more? Right? In other words, what, what we're getting at here is that there's always something more that you can do. And that's what makes the law so rigid and so difficult and impossible to live by. Jesus was full of grace. Jesus lived grace. But like any good Jew, he was circumcised on the eighth day. He kept the feasts. Jesus didn't eat pork chops. <laughs> he observed the Sabbath. Jesus lived the law. He fulfilled it in himself. Now, he gave his life for all of us. There's no question about that. He came for all of us. But he did not come to all of us. Can you, can you get your head around that? Now, as we unhook the book, you, gotta, you have to understand that. When you read, he came for us, but he didn't come to us. He came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel who specifically needed a Savior out of the law. D Jesus didn't come to give you as a Gentile a good teaching to help you try to attain to a lawful lifestyle. Jesus came to include all of us in his death, his burial, his resurrection, and his ascension. Absolutely. So all of us could have life. Jesus came so that we all could have life. But he didn't come to you to specifically instruct you on your shortcomings where you haven't kept the law or kept every saying that he gave. He came to give his saying to the Jews to point to them and say, guys, you can't do this. What is it going to take for you to know that you can't do it, that the law can never be fulfilled in your activity and your ability to do? There's a reason, I think, and here again, this, is a, this will be a, 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 a flash of light to some of you. There's a reason that Paul never mentioned one parable of Jesus. Did you ever notice that? In none of Paul's writing did he mention a parable of Jesus. Paul never mentioned or made reference to the Sermon on the Mount. Paul never referenced one miracle of Jesus. And he turns around and says, imitate me. No parables, no Sermon on the Mount, no reference to miracles, no reference to any teaching of Jesus, and he tells people to imitate him. Why, why would Paul do that? I think because Paul understood fully that the words in the teaching of Jesus were Old Covenant. And that he, Paul, had been hand-selected by Jesus. Now, I'm telling you things that you need to keep in mind as you unhook the book, as you read your Bible. I think Paul understood that he had been personally commissioned by Jesus to carry the revelation of the new covenant to the nations, to unpack the finished work of the cross. 
to, to teach and explain pure grace, to let all of mankind know that in Christ they had been reconciled back to the Father, to speak about inclusion of the world in the death, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul came to tell us, look, there's a new federal head of, the, of humanity. It's no longer Adam. It has transitioned from Adam to Jesus. And the problem with religion is this. And we've all lived there. We lived there for years and years and years. We have diluted the impact and the depth of the new covenant by diluting it with the old covenant, mixing the two together until we have taken this book and we have just looked at it as one book. We've not rightly divided the word. We haven't, we haven't separated the covenants. So again, for emphasis, it wasn't a teaching lesson that Jesus came to give the nations. He did give his life a ransom for every man in the nations without partiality. But the thrust of the ministry of the life of Jesus was to the nation of Israel, to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Paul's mission, when we come to Paul's writings, his writing and his thrust was to all of us, right? Paul came to you. So what Paul is writing, you can, you can zero it down much more as being to you than the writings of Jesus. Now, I hope that doesn't shake you up too bad. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 11, let me read Colossians chapter 3, verse 11 to you. Maybe this will help you a little bit. Paul said this. He said, there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised. There's neither barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free. This is the message that Paul came. He said, no longer is there any circumcised, uncircumcised, no longer Jew, Gentile. There's no longer insiders, outsiders. And he says this. Here's the message that Paul took to the nations. But Christ is all, and Christ is in all. All right? So that's Paul. That was not the message of Jesus. Jesus was very selective in coming to the nation of Israel, to the Jews. And the emphasis of his message was, guys, you're not going to be able to cut this alone. Now, what we've done in the church for generations is take what Jesus said when he was saying, guys, you can't do this. You can't make it. And we've strapped that on people. And we, be, we became, uh, we condemned ourselves and we judged one another because we weren't, we weren't making it on the teaching of Jesus any better than the Jews were. The whole purpose of the law, Paul said, is to show us where we fall short. It's a schoolmaster. When Jesus died on the cross, he eliminated that. Now, when you set up laws, it still will show you where you're, where you're failing. But the problem with the law, the problem with the law, it, the law will show you where you fall short, but there's no power within the law to change you. Until we make the cross the dividing point of the covenants, there will always be confusion. There will always be this ping pong back and forth between the old covenant, what it says, and then the new covenant, what it says, and the two sometimes are diametrically opposed. So when you come to someone, uh, you know, and you say that God is nothing but love, God is unconditional love, somebody will pull out of the old covenant, well, you know, but God judges, 
And God, God is also a God of wrath. Well, that's, that's not the God that Paul taught. That's not, that's not the father that Paul unpacked. It's not the father that Jesus fully reflected. But do you see the problem when we, when we try to take the two covenants, merge them into one, fit it all together, make it work, pour it out. We just pull a verse from here and a verse from there. We just ping pong back and forth. And we never uncover what is totally our inheritance in the finished work of the cross. We're, we, we would always be putting the words of Jesus and the words that maybe Paul spoke at odds. And I, I've even read, you know, I've read books on that Paul was a heretic, that Paul uh, did not follow Jesus, that Paul wasn't a real Christian, that Paul uh, was a renegade. And, and it's because we look at some of the things Jesus said and some of the things Paul said, and they just don't mesh together. And the reason they don't is because one was teaching under Old Covenant, Jesus, he lived grace, he demonstrated grace, he extended grace, but when he taught the Jews, he was teaching them a law that he knew they couldn't fulfill, pointing them to the fact that they needed a Savior. When we come to Paul in the New Covenant, he's speaking to Gentiles uh, post-cross, explaining to them and unpacking for them everything they have because of what Jesus did as them. Can you see that? So maybe there's an area here that we need to change our mind. We need to repent, right? We need to metanoia this. We need to change our, our thinking. We need to renew our minds. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 32, he said, you would know the truth and the truth would make you free. So if we're going to be free, we've got to let old mindsets go and let new areas come in. Look, there's nothing wrong with changing your mind. There's nothing wrong with looking back, you know, looking at your life and saying, well, maybe I have not opened myself up to the depth of the new covenant, to the, to the depth that I should be. Maybe I'm still clinging on to some things from the old and dragging them over, and it's creating this tension in my life, and it's stopping me from going forward. And we, we, we need to get a right view of Scripture. That's what this whole Unhook the Book series is about, getting a right view of Scripture. Into Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians, Paul is going to be addressing people, especially in Galatians. This first couple of lessons are going to be about Paul addressing people that, yeah, love Jesus, follow Jesus, but they were dragging some of the old with them. And man, he could have written that in, in 2020 because that's exactly as we come into this new year, there are still untold multitudes that love Jesus that, 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 that want to do the right thing, but they're dragging some of the old into the new. So let me just emphasize this morning. Let me emphasize this again. The entirety of the Bible was written for us. You can pull a lot of wisdom out of the book of Proverbs. You can receive a lot out of the Psalms. It was, it's, it's for you, but it was not to you. And that includes the words of Jesus in his teachings. They were not to you. Now they're for you. <clears throat> pull out of it what you can. But what you pull out of the words of Jesus, keep in mind who he's speaking to. That's an important part of hermeneutics or, or biblical interpretation. I interpret the Bible. Who he's speaking to, when he spoke it, and what, what's the meaning of who he's of what he's saying to who he's speaking, right? You take in the, the, the facts of culture and time. All of those things come into looking at the scripture. 
Now, what I want to do this morning the, the, with the rest of the time I have is just give you a couple of examples. Not an exhaustive study, but I just want you to see how you properly can separate the covenants, including the words of Jesus, uh, um, you know, and how it fits into the new covenant. Let me just take a couple of examples this morning and let me just break it down for you so that when you read, you're able to read rightly, right? You know, you'll, you'll always read everything through the lens of, of Jesus. You read everything through the, the, what he demonstrated, which was grace. For example, this is not one of the examples I'm going to give, but it just comes to my mind right now as I'm standing here. For example, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, it says, um, if you will hearken to all of the words of God, if you keep all of his statutes, all of his commands, if you obey him in all that you do, then these blessings will come on you. Now, when you, when you look at that and, and you think that that o obedience is what you have to do, I can tell you right now, you're never going to measure up of obedience of 613 laws to be blessed by God. But when you come over to the new covenant and you see that Jesus is your obedience, then you can come back to Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2 when you read it. And when it says, if you obey, you know that you have obeyed because Jesus obeyed as you. Jesus was total obedience and he did what you could not do. This is what he tried to point to the Jews. You cannot do this, but I'm here to do it for you. I'm here to do it strike for. I'm here to do it as you. So when you read something like Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 1 and 2 out of the Old Covenant, you read it through the lens of what Jesus fulfilled for us. And one of the things he fulfilled for us was absolute, complete obedience. So while you're not able to be totally obedient yourself, when you read the scripture, you say, I am obedient because he was obedient as me. Do you, do you get the drift? All right, let me take one example. Let's look at the model prayer that Jesus prayed. We call that the Lord's Prayer. One of the things in the Lord's Prayer, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And he goes on. And one of the statements that he makes is this. He says, forgive us our sins as we forgive those that sin against us. Now, I've heard a lot of teaching about this. That if you don't forgive people their sins, then your sins will not be forgiven. You ever heard of something like that? Now, if you, if you read that, no, okay, let me just start at the very beginning. Is this an Old Covenant or New Covenant teaching? And who's Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples, which were all Jews. And he's saying, look, uh, let, let, me, let me just tell you something. If you want to be forgiven, Old Covenant, then you have to forgive others. Now, our... When we bring that over to the new, I've heard a lot of teaching about that. You know, if you want to be forgiven, you have to, you have to forgive other people. If you don't forgive other people, then you're going to walk, then you're not going to be forgiven either. Well, is that true? Are you and I to pray for, for forgiveness or do we already have it? Have we already been forgiven? So again, in what covenant is Jesus speaking and to who was he speaking? He was speaking to those that were under the old covenant that were under the law. Now, we don't ask him to forgive us because according to the new covenant, already forgiven. <clears throat> can, can you grab that? Colossians chapter 2. 
Let's come over to the other side of the covenant. Let's, let's come over on the other side of the cross. Let's come over and see what Colossians says. This is what Paul said, who was sent to you. So this is a, what Paul said is to you. Would, now, you say, well, should I never forgive people? Now, I told you this, it's not to you, but it's for you. There, there is a degree of release that comes mentally, mentally when you let people go. So when you release somebody and you forgive somebody, it does benefit you. But it's not to say that your sins are not forgiven unless you forgive somebody else. Are we to pray for forgiveness? Here's what Paul said in Colossians chapter 2. This is good stuff. Colossians chapter 2 verse 13. He said, And you being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Watch. That's how you, you were dead as a doornail. He said, He has made alive together with him, having <clears throat> forgiven all of your trespasses. Having forgiven, past tense, they have already been forgiven. Having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that were against us, contrary to us, took it out of the way and nailed it to the cross. So Paul very, very plainly, specifically says, he has forgiven all of your trans, uh, transgressions. All of your sins have been forgiven. He took that ordinance of what you have to do, 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 and he nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. So if you, if you mix the Lord's Prayer with, with Colossians chapter 2, where Jesus was teaching the Jews Old Covenant, he was trying to give them a release of sins, and you try to mix that with Colossians 2, where Paul says you've already been forgiven, you, you will never... If you try to mix the two, you will never have a righteous consciousness. You'll always be looking inwardly and saying, have I forgiven everybody? I've sat in services where, where we've come through and you've said, you know what, let's just all bow our heads. If, you, if you're holding something against someone, please forgive them so that you can be forgiven. See, that's a faulty teaching. Your forgiveness is not based on you forgiving somebody else. Your forgiveness is based on the finished work of the cross. You have already been entirely, fully forgiven. But if you try to mix the two covenants, and this is why it's, this is so deadly, and when you unhook the book, you have got to realize in which covenant that we're actually reading. You'll continue to buy the deception of what you do is foundational to your forgiveness rather than who you be. The Old Covenant was about, all about who you, what you need to do. All, the Old Covenant was all about do, do, do more, do more. The New Covenant is all about who you be, who you are, what he's, what he's created you already to, to, to walk in, right? Can, can you follow me there? All right, so that's just one example. Let me give you another, another example. This is a big one. In John chapter 3, this... This one is really big. John chapter 3. Some of you may know where I'm going just by saying John chapter 3 in verse, uh, verse 1. Jesus has that famous encounter with Nicodemus, right? John chapter 3 verse 1. There was, a, there was a man of the Pharisees. Who was a Pharisee? A Pharisee was a Jew. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. 
this ruler of the Jews, this Jewish man, comes to Jesus by night and says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God because nobody can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. Verse 3, Most assuredly, Jesus, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, is this an Old Testament teaching? Who is this to? Or is it a New Covenant teaching? All right, which side of the cross is it on? Is John 3 post-cross or pre-cross? It's pre-cross, right? So understand now, Jesus is speaking Old Covenant to a Jew. And that third verse of John chapter 3 is not a mystery to Nicodemus. He's telling Nicodemus what the prophet Isaiah said, that Nicodemus should know. This was not some mystery that Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus. Because in verse 10, Jesus answered and said, Are you a teacher of the Israel and you don't know these things? Jesus, Jesus was speaking very um, basic truths to Nicodemus, he, he, he was telling Nick, Nick, I'm telling you something that you know. What was he making reference to? Let me, let me read it for you from the Old Testament. Here's, here's what he was making reference to in Isaiah chapter 66. And because <clears throat> Nick was a teacher of the Jews, Jesus knew that he knew what Isaiah chapter 66 was talking about. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8. Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 8 says this. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in one day? Or shall a nation be born at once? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. What's Jesus talking about to Nicodemus? He's talking to him about Isaiah chapter 66 verse 8 about how a nation would be born again in one day. That one day that they would be born again was to bring a new thing from an old thing. He was pointing to the fact that Isaiah said that there would be a regeneration of Israel. There would be a recreation. There would be a nation that would be born in the day. The old thing is Israel, and the new thing is Israel with a heart now of flesh and not a heart of law of stone. So Jesus is telling Nicodemus, you know, Nicodemus, that the prophet Isaiah said that there would be the birth of a nation, Israel, and that they would be birthed from the heart of stone to a heart of flesh. There would be a recreation, a regeneration. See, you can't have a regeneration of something that was not at first generated. There cannot be a recreation of something that was first not a creation. Now remember, he's speaking to Nicodemus, a Jew under the Old Covenant, pointing to a truth from Isaiah chapter 66, verse 8, has nothing to do with you Gentiles of praying the sinner's prayer, accepting Jesus into your heart as your personal Savior, making a profession of faith, has absolutely nothing to say about that. He's talking, he's talking the raw material to Israel. 
But because we haven't rightly divided the word and made the cross the separation of the old and new, we haven't realized that Jewish Jesus was speaking to Jewish Nicodemus something that he should have known from the prophets. And again in verse 10, he says, Nicodemus, this, this is not a mystery to you, buddy. This is something that you're well familiar with, which was the nation of Israel, Nicodemus, moving from an old nation, being recreated, being regenerated to a changed heart. He's not talking about rebirthing to the non-Jews. Jesus used the term born again one time. He used it in the Old Covenant to a Jew to teach a specific point at one specific time and he never ever used the term again. Why didn't Paul ever use this term born again? Because when we come to the New Covenant, the revelation of Paul was not born again. Paul, I, I, I'm, some of you are going on tilt right now. Paul's message to the nations, to the Gentile world, was not born again. Paul's message was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, that was new creation. A new creation is not regenerated. A new creation is not recreated. A new creation is something that never existed. It's far more radical than new birth from an old being. And that's what Jesus of the Old Covenant was telling Nicodemus. I'm gonna, you're going to be born again. We're going to take the old and make it into something new. Paul didn't tell the Gentiles you're going to be made new from something old. Paul's not talking about making something new out of the old, as Jesus told Nicodemus concerning Israel. Paul's saying that in Christ, in Christ, God wiped out all of old humanity. Adam's race does not exist anymore. Humanity is now in last Adam, not first Adam. He has resurrected you into what had never been before. When you were resurrected with Christ, you were a creation that the earth had never seen before. At the cross, old humanity died, and at the resurrection, a new humanity was birthed. That was Paul's message. Paul is saying to the Gentiles, to the nations, you're a new creation. You're not born again. See, born again has nothing to do with us. We are new creations. We are partakers of the divine nature. He isn't regenerating something old into something new. So when you drop this idea of reformation and you understand that God started from scratch, first Adam gone, second Adam now, when you drop the idea of a reformation, of a reformation of an old into something that is new and improved, the only thing left, the only thing left with you is your mind. That's why Paul said that we have the mind of Christ. That's the thing that needs to be renewed. There's a remembrance, but the fact is, the truth is, that mind that you have is where warfare takes place. It's I, I don't want to get into all of it, but it's 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 the ego. 
When you see that the old has been destroyed, it's gone, it's, it's obliterated. The day of focusing on reforming the old into something better is gone. The days of recognizing that all that the new includes is here. But we haven't, we haven't embraced that. Church has not embraced that. Go to a Christian bookstore. Look at all the books on the shelves. And I want you to notice how many of them are about improving the old you into something better. It's it's step-by-step process of what to do to make your life what it should be, right? How how to make uh, what you are into something better. You'd be lucky to find one book on the bookshelves that would uncover your authentic identity and who Christ made you to be a new creation how you were accepted in him before the foundation of the world and redeemed at the cross, you would be lucky to find one book that would emphasize authentic identity, but shelf after shelf would be how to do something better with the old to improve it in the new. Now, don't don't misunderstand. The words that Jesus spoke are important words. They're so important that we need to accurately handle them. Or as, as Paul told Timothy, you need to learn to rightly divide the word. My last scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. All right, last scripture this morning. This is your instruction this week of what you are to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 4. It says, Now we have such trust through Christ Jesus toward God. Let me back up. Verse 3. Clearly you are, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tables of stone, but on tables of flesh that is in the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency of Christ. Watch. Who also has made us sufficient of ministers, as ministers of the new covenant. You are to be, because of what he's done, he's backing up here. And, he, and in verse 4 he says, And we have such trust through Christ Jesus towards God. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiencies of God, who has made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. You are a minister today, absolutely. But you're not a minister of the letter. The letter kills, the Spirit gives life. You're a minister of the post-resurrection covenant that the Father made with the Son for mankind, for all of it. It is to you. Focus on that new covenant. So this morning it's time, look, it's time finally that we made this right separation of the old from the new and we stop mixing the two together. We stop flowing the old covenant, new covenant, picking a verse out of the old that would say what we wanted to say, try to make a fit with the new. Learn all that the new gives us without labor or effort and let others know 
what they possess but are blind to. That's what the new covenant is about. It's not about being born again. The new covenant is about awakening. Paul called it that the eyes of your understanding would be enlightened to know the hope of the riches of the inheritance that you have in Christ Jesus. The difference between the old and the new. The old points to the coming Savior and the need of a Savior. The new covenant tells us what we already have in Christ as an inheritance because of all that he has done as us. Not what we have to do to try to be like Jesus. All right, I think that's a good place to stop. I got one more teaching that's going to be uh, rock your world next week. So come back over. Listen to this again. Would you do that? You can't pick up everything on the first time. We, we hit some things that may <clears throat> have kind of shocked you. But if you come back and listen to the second or third time, it'll kind of settle into your spirit. So Wednesday night, we'll talk about it a little further. Next Sunday morning, we'll do the last installment on Unhooked a Book. And then uh, two weeks from now, we're going to begin our, our prolonged series and walk through some of the writings of Paul. Have a wonderful Christmas. Will you do that? Have a wonderful Christmas. We look forward to the new year. And we will see you next Sunday after Christmas. And we'll be looking for January the 1st. Have a wonderful week. God bless. We thank you for being with us today on the Digital Cathedral. We trust that today's teaching helped you in your journey to the abundant life Jesus has freely given to all. If you would like to help support us in spreading the gospel of grace, you can do so by going to donkeithley.com to make your donation. We thank you for your prayers and continued monthly support and look forward to seeing you again next week at the Digital Cathedral.